Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Story time. I've been an elementary school teacher. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. For a couple of years, even in my short time teaching, I've met some interesting children and have tons of memorable stories. However, one kid that's currently in my class seems different. For the sake of anonymity we'll call him Tyler. Now Tyler has always been pretty quiet and withdrawn in class. I just thought it was due to shyness, but now I think it could be something else. 
I had my students do an assignment where they were supposed to write about what jobs their parents had and or what they did for hobbies. Keep in mind, I teach second grade so some of the kids don't have a great grasp on the details of their parents' jobs. It's usually pretty fun reading how they view the occupations their parents have. However, Tyler's paper felt a bit odd. I'm not sure exactly what it is yet, but I've transcribed what he wrote here, without the spelling and grammar errors to make it easier to read. Title, My Daddy. The text starts as follows, My daddy is a hunter. He has lots of guns and knives that he uses to help him kill his prey. He puts on his special clothes that he says helps him blend in better so that his prey doesn't see him. He goes out when it's dark outside because he says that it takes a lot of patience and sometimes he has to wait a long time before he can get anything. When he does come home he brings in what he has killed and cuts it up in the garage. Then he puts it in the freezer so that it will keep longer. We eat what he hunts almost every night. I don't care too much for the taste, but daddy says that I will learn to like it. He says that most people eat meat from the grocery store but what we get is special. Our prey is better than what they eat he tells me. When I was little I had a mommy, but daddy says that she didn't like him hunting. He says that he told her that he wasn't going to stop and she couldn't make him. I remember hearing them argue in my room. The next day when I woke up daddy said that mommy left. He didn't go hunting that night. He stayed home and played games with me instead. Then we ate some new prey. Daddy seemed really happy and said that we would be okay without mommy and that he would always take care of me. He said when I was older he would teach me how to hunt. I was excited to learn. On my birthday this year he said I was finally ready to help him with his hunt. We left in his truck while it was still dark out. He picked out his prey and said that he would kill it and I could watch how it was done. It made me sad when daddy killed it because it cried. It made a weird sound too. I think I heard something like it before one night when I was little. After he killed it we put it in the back of his truck and went home. Daddy let me watch him cut it up that night. He used all kinds of different tools. When he was done he put the head in a big freezer in the garage. He says it's a trophy and that people who hunt put their trophies on the wall but he can't do. That because he has too many. Daddy said he wishes he could put them on the wall in his room. Then him and mommy could be together again because she would see that hunting isn't bad. She would see all the pretty trophies he gets from it. He told me that one day I will be a great hunter like him. I don't think I like hunting much, but if the trophies could bring mommy back like he said I wouldn't mind it. I don't think they're pretty like daddy says though, mommy was prettier. I've been hunting these cryptids for 29 years. Most people in my line of work don't make it to 10, much less 30. Before you ask no I will not be having a party. My point is that I know a hell of a lot about these things. You need to learn to stay alive if you have my job. It's not as easy as reading the old stories. And that leads into the first thing I'd like to address. Lore. I have an acronym for lore. Lost over recent eras this little beauty has saved my life plenty of times. Do not expect to survive an encounter with a creature you know nothing about. And do not expect to survive an encounter with a creature using 400 year old information. Not only is lore old information, but it's basically a giant game of telephone spanning centuries, if you millennials even know what telephone is. It's word of mouth and not to be trusted. For example, there are a myriad of differences between the European lycanthrope and the North American skinwalker. 
An important difference to know is that lycanthropes have no power over their transformation, while skinwalkers can transform at will when they've mastered the technique. When confronting a lycanthrope, expect it to act like a rabid beast. They are predictable however in the sense that they will attack almost anything. Lycanthropes are often 8 to 10 feet tall, depending on the height of the individual prior to transformation. They are heavily built, and are extremely strong. Lycanthropy is a disease. The movies got that right. Europe is full of these transformative viruses. They contort the base genome of DNA. Ever heard of the Black Death? Same type of disease, just a different transformative effect. And because the disease changes the infected person's DNA, it can be passed down through family lines. Skinwalkers however do not transform because of a disease. They use blood magic. I hate blood magic. So much. Native American lore talks of shaman who dabbled in the dark arts. Shape-shifting mainly. The shaman would wear the pelts of an animal of their choosing, and shift into their form. Well the lore is not entirely accurate. As usual, skinwalkers cannot shift into animals. They blend with them. They are humanoid beast men. Most commonly they use a canid as their animal. Why? Because it's blood magic. For the spell to work the shaman, or other idiot playing with forces they don't understand, must skin the animal they want to shift into alive. Capturing and skinning a coyote or fox is far easier than skinning a bear, deer, or other creature of the forest. So guess what every dumbass thinks? That's a werewolf. Look honey it's a werewolf. No it isn't. Let me make some things perfectly clear. Skinwalkers can still maintain their human intelligence after transformation. They are still able to reason. That means opening doors, ambushing prey with bait, evading being filmed and captured, etc. I know firsthand how dangerous a case of mistaken identity can be for an experienced hunter, I can't even begin to tell of the danger a novice hunter is in. I was working with a man named Lincoln. Hunter of 8 years. I was only 12 years into my career. We had gotten a tip from a local shaman on an Indian reservation that something was wrong. He whispered of animals slaughtered, and howls in the night. Now I knew what he meant immediately. Skinwalker. Nothing I hadn't seen before. My partner on the other hand had never heard of a skinwalker. So I had to give him a crash course. All the basics. Don't use silver, find some monkshood, more commonly known as wolfsbane, and poison your crossbow, and to treat it like an intelligent human being. Well Lincoln apparently took my advice, to the letter. He walked up to me half an hour later with a wolfsbane plant. He tore it from the ground, root and stem without any gloves. For those of you who don't know, monkshood is very poisonous, sometimes lethal. Now he hadn't eaten any, so he had the common sense not to ingest a toxin strong enough to knock beast men on their asses, but still he was in danger of being affected by the plant. I told Lincoln he had to sit this one out. Through skin contact monkshood toxin can cause heart palpitations, sweating, and disorientation. Any one of these symptoms mean that Lincoln would be easy prey for any skinwalker prowling around. He was furious. We had agreed to work together, and split the reward for the wolves prowling the woods. But because of his stupid mistake, he had forfeited that reward. That night, I went into the woods alone. Or I thought I did. I set up shop in a tree stand, and set up camouflage and masked my scent with piss. The skinwalkers piss to be exact. 
I was deep in his territory, and his scent was everywhere. I don't know if you've ever smelled skinwalker piss but it's rank. Think bleach mixed with wet dog and the smell of stagnant water. The reason the smell is so strong is because the body expels toxins ingested to cause the shift. You are royally messing your body up when you skin shift, and it is no joke. Most men break under the stress of the transformation. They go feral, and when the change is over they are whimpering babies, unable to reason or speak. It's for this reason that most of the time my job is over before it begins. But sometimes, a man is strong enough to survive the change. When a man becomes a beast, and is still able to reason like a human. That is when skinwalkers are at their most dangerous. While I tracked it down to its lair. It's safe space to endure the change. I set up the stand there and waited. Hours passed and eventually I saw a bipedal creature. It seemed unsteady and exhausted. I took a look though my crossbow scope, outfitted with night vision, and swore. It was Lincoln. That thing had tracked my F to his house. And the moron was knocking at his door. To his credit, he did almost everything right. He even brought the monk's hood. Unfortunately unless distilled it gave off an odor that a skinwalker could smell from a mile away. Now I knew Lincoln was dead. The skinwalker would have already caught the scent of that plant. No way in hell he was getting out of this. And since the activity was going on for some time, I had to assume that the skinwalker survived the interval shift. Once he chowed down on one hunter, he'd be on edge for more. So I did the only thing I could do to stay alive. I shot the prick Lincoln in the back with a wolfsbane laced crossbow bolt. It was a clean shot. Brought him down, and struck an artery I would expect. His already increased heart rate from the effects of the poison would be through the roof, spreading the toxin around. He screamed, and bled, and screamed some more. That only got the thing more stirred up. Soon I could hear crashing through he undergrowth. The skinwalker had come to pay his respects to Lincoln. If he was screaming before, he was really screaming now. That beast had its snout in his chest before he could blink. Hell, before I could blink. When you first see one of these things it's revolting. But as time goes on, you start to see them for the magnificent predators they are. As I was sitting there, watching that skinwalker feed on Lincoln, it was an almost cathartic thing. So I waited some more after he was done, and it started shitting. And I mean really shitting. Leaving trails of it everywhere. And urinating too. It tried to run, but couldn't. The poison was already taking hold. I think halfway through the great beast shitting out chunks of Lincoln and blood, it realized that it was dying. It snarled and looked around, howling into the night sky. Then it saw me drop down from my stand. I walked over to the skinwalker, and met its gaze with my own. With its eyes it told me everything I needed to know. How they looked me over, and bore into mine. It knew I was the one who outsmarted it, and it hated me for it. I put a bolt between its eyes and burned the body. Lincoln's too, or what was left of it. My family has been hunting these things for generations, and if there's one thing I've learned in almost 30 years of hunting, it's that to kill a monster, sometimes you have to be one. Now some of you might find my methods a little extreme. You'll be happy to know my wife and kids are less. F it. Brutal. That's what I'd use. My son Ian is in Ireland studying the Fae. My daughter Lizzie is in Europe hunting the real monsters. Lycanthropes, vampires and the like. My wife, Samantha is in Asia hunting all manner of monsters. I can't even pronounce most of them, 
But she could. My brother is in Australia. Hunting God knows what. I've emailed them the information to this Reddit account. If you have any particular questions, comment on this post. We all have our share of messed up stories, so we can entertain you, educate you, and make our jobs easier at the same time. I'll update this tomorrow, or someone else will, with the most requested region and or monster. Have a nice day. Oh and do us all a favor and don't go messing with anything you don't understand. You don't want to end up like Lincoln. Part 2. My wife is currently investigating suspicious reports of activity in India, which means she can't be here to write about her experiences right now. So you're all stuck with me again. Aren't you lucky? As I read through the comments, I was surprised how knowledgeable some of the people were about the things that go bump in the night. I'm almost proud to say that most of the people who have commented appear to have enough brain cells to not be a Lincoln. Touching on that story, I mentioned yet another encounter with a skinwalker, where I should have ended up like Lincoln. But it, no, he showed me mercy. It was my fifth year of hunting. I thought I was already a master hunter. I thought I had seen everything, and been exposed to enough F to not be phased. Until I met my first skinwalker. I was trained in Europe by my grandmother. Most badass granny you'll ever meet. Now she was a master. Almost 50 years hunting, and it was cancer that took her. Arguably one of the worst monsters she ever faced. Now grandmother was used to a more superstitious time. Nowadays we love our monster media. Top 10 lists and monster movies. We love it. Of course misrepresentation of monsters in media is a dangerous thing. Do you know how many teenage girls went missing after the Twilight movies were released? Too many. Let's get one thing straight. Werewolves aren't cuddly, and vampires don't F glitter. Getting off topic. My point is, that I thought I was tough shit. After conquering Europe, I went back home, to Virginia. I thought after my training I'd be ready for whatever unholy pricks were stalking the Americas. So I took a case. Vietnam vet claiming to have seen big wolves in the woods surrounding his farm. I thought, a pack of werewolves. Simple. Pack the silver and get ready for a hell of a hunt. But then he started talking about it more. And the more he explained what was happening, the more anxious, yes anxious, I started to get. Barn doors were open without force, and the cattle were slaughtered. It just lifted the latch and opened the doors. Every lycanthrope I've come across in the Americas and Europe has not been able to open doors. I've seen them recognize a gun, and flee. On the rare occasion a lycan is smart enough to avoid traps. Opening doors? Different story. He discussed his fear that he was being tormented by teenagers in the area, but I put his fears to bed. No group of drunk kids would have killed his cattle. I left his house and entered the barn. He hadn't cleaned it up and the stench of decay was overpowering. But underneath it all, I could smell something even more rank. Wet dog and bleach. A scent I'd eventually grow to love. There wasn't much blood within the barn. But the stalls were a different story. The cattle had been slaughtered all in the same way, their necks were broken, and their bodies slid open after the fact. I knelt down to examine the corpse of one of the cows, and looked for missing organs. Lichens love stomachs and fatty meat from the lower abdomen. But in this case, the heart was missing, and the rib cage was barely damaged. It was systematic slaughter. Each of the cows, the same. Neck broken, body opened, heart removed. Clearly the Virginia countryside had some surprises for me. 
That day when I went into the woods I knew that I'd be meeting something I'd never seen before. And I knew that it was one messed up monster. I set up camp deep in the forest, in a clearing, and settled down to wait. When the sun started to set, I positioned hanging lanterns from the trees around me, and built a large fire in the center. I placed a slab of beef within my sleeping bag next to the fire, and settled down in a high tree branch. Soon night fell, and the only place that wasn't pitch black was the clearing I was lounging over. Honestly this was a recon mission. Just to see what would happen. I was not disappointed. A large, dark furred creature jumped there from the tree line to the center of the clearing, and almost gracefully, ripped the beef out of the bag, and flung it away into the trees. It was canine, that much I was certain of. It whirled to stare directly at the branch I was perched upon. The eyes glinted green in the light of the fire, and the snout moved and twitched. I could see the creature in startling detail, and it was not pretty. Upon the back it was covered in fur, and it thickened upon the head and shoulders. The lower you got down the body, the less hair you found. Still it seemed eyes to meet mine. Now I'll be honest. This is the tried and true method for hunting lichens. Set up a trap and wait for it to spring it. However, it was not the tried and true method for hunting skinwalkers. It could smell me from hundreds of yards away, and this one was intelligent enough to know what humans stank like. Still I remained steady, and calm. It knew I was there, but I would just take it down. I reached for my crossbow and hesitated. It hadn't attacked me. It was ugly, but it didn't climb the tree and rip me down from my branch. If I reached for a weapon it surely would. This was its encounter now. I was its. I did something stupid. Never do what I did. Ever. I dropped out of the tree, to face the skinwalker on the ground. Immediately, it lowered onto all fours, snarling. I clutched my crossbow and aimed it at the skinwalker, snarling myself. We locked eyes and held our positions in that fire-lit clearing for what felt like an age. I had seen what this thing did to the cattle, if it was the same beast. It would have no trouble taking a bolt to the chest and tearing me in two. But while I was squaring off with this thing, I saw that its eyes were not the amber of a lichen, or the dead white of a windigo. They were a a gentle green, and showed an emotion I knew all too well. Fear. That's when it clicked. This thing was a person. I dropped my crossbow, and raised my hands in surrender. I kicked it away, to my right. The skinwalker slowly rose on two legs and looked me over. I was practically shitting myself. This was not what my grandma taught me. She taught me kill on sight. Well now this monster, the thing that had me at its mercy, wasn't killing me on sight. Talk about irony. Can you understand me? I asked cautiously. My only response was a twitch of the ear. The skinwalker suddenly snarled and out of the darkness surrounding the clearing came a blood-curdling shriek. A smaller skinwalker, a tan blur leapt from the trees and attacked the monster, rolling into the fire. Sparks flew and both beasts roared in pain. I rolled to the side and snatched my crossbow from the grass, trying to understand what the F was going on. Blood flew and the tan monster tore at its opponent's stomach with its powerful back legs. I realized this was the beast that slaughtered the cattle. I took aim with my crossbow and fired into the heap of monster. It struck the smaller skinwalker and it leapt away hissing. I was horrified. This thing was furious, and covered in blood. It seemed to have six small breasts, going down the chest, suggesting a female. 
Only now I know how rare that really is. It was a female skinwalker, who used the skin, I assume, of a lynx to shift. This female was grabbed by the male and shoved headfirst into the fire. As the fur of the beast roasted, I could smell the piss evaporating off of it. I reloaded my crossbow and took another shot, striking the hind leg of the female. She yowled, and the male got behind her, and sunk his teeth into the back of her neck. She screamed and screamed, and her cries seemed more human the more I heard them. Eventually there was enough pressure on the neck that with a resounding crunch the female was still. The male fell backwards, torso and arm torn and bleeding. He looked at me, and I looked at him. I guess he assumed I was going to kill him. I'll admit, after that display I was really tempted. But I had finished my job. Well, technically the skinwalker had. But still. I didn't have to stay there. I turned and left the male to lick his wounds. I haven't heard anything else from that area since. Maybe one day he'll find me again, and we'll have a nice reunion. Or maybe we'll both try to kill each other. If the years have hardened him like they have me, probably the latter. Driving at night on a highway by Kaibab National Forest outside of Flagstaff. I saw, by the center divide, a huge wolf-like creature lying down. Only it was too massive to be a wolf. Lying down, it was still higher than the guard rail. So this thing was scary large. My first thought was that I just saw a skinwalker. I remember immediately becoming wide awake and made sure to keep going as far as I could before stopping for gas, the restroom. Miles and miles later, I did stop at a rest stop to pee and was hyper vigilant the entire time I was out of the car. I texted my mom and my brother about it. It still creeps me out thinking about what it was doing on the road. Like, was it waiting to jump out in front of a car? This happened last December on a drive from Louisiana to California. Shadow people are some part of body of if, like hands or legs. Last house I stayed in, it was worse like I would hear moving chair sound. Mostly I seen someone standing outside my door. I would see shadow passing through. When I told my friend, she didn't believe. When she was visiting my home, she felt some was behind her and she seen a shadow of it for mere second. After that, it become more tense like it's getting closer like I can feels it breath. I moved out of there because a fire started in one of the rooms. I don't know how and there was no rat or mice that may carry flammable things. To start this off, there were no bears, moose, or elk where I lived at the time. For some background information, at the time, I was around 12 or 14 years old, and I was with my friend, whom I'll call Kala. We had planned to go for a picnic in her pastures. As we walked up a smaller hill, Kala pushed me to the ground and whispered to me, do you see that? At least 20 or so feet away was a tall creature. It stood on four thin limbs, and its head was narrow, similar to that of a horse or a deer. It was completely black. I couldn't make out features, but it had a mane just like a lion's, although it seemed flat and coarse. The mane-like fur ran along its back, stopping near the rear. It had no tail. Here's a side note. All of the cattle were moved to a completely different area, nowhere near this one. No other livestock animals were in those pastures, but this thing was just staring off. Suddenly, 
My friend stood up and made a beeline for the exit, which was at least two miles away. I didn't hesitate to follow her. We finally stopped near the latched fence that led to her house and looked back. We had a pretty good view of the hill it stood on. It was slowly walking back into the trees. This still gives me chills to this day. At a family gathering in a city in Argentina, a second cousin asked an old uncle who used to spend summer as a kid in the house where we were partying if he could show the place where this uncle and his sister saw the flying muchachitos, little guys, when they were little. This uncle was a bit upset about the request but after lunch, a group of young relatives followed him to the backyard. Houses in most major Argentinian cities are built without gaps among them, you share walls with neighbors. Backyards are walled gardens, and this one is huge since it's a lot in the middle of the block, the back reaching its center. The family has at the end of the backyard a tiny apartment, two floors high, that it seems was designed to be used by a servant. Only space for a small kitchen and a latrine on the first floor and a bedroom on the second floor, more like a prison cell. For two sides that part of the backyard was surrounded by tall walls of a warehouse on the other side of the block and the back of a tall house next door. The third side that corresponds to the neighbor next door has a no-so-tall wall, and from the window of the second floor, you could see its backyard. Now it is only grass but in the old times, it has a really big eucalyptus tree. So that spot was very isolated in the center of the block, and when my uncle was a kid the backyard had lemon trees around that apartment that gave it more privacy. Adults would send kids to sleep over on the second floor as an adventure on hot summer nights since nobody lived there, it was used as storage. At the time I visited, it was empty and almost in ruins, going up to the second floor was somehow dangerous because the wood on the stairs and floors was in bad condition but my cousins really wanted to see the place where that story happened. I had no idea what was going on. Then someone asked my uncle to tell the event again. That could have happened around the early 1930s. One summer night when this uncle was 10 years old he was sleeping there with a bunch of other kids, all family related. Just before the sun rose he woke up hearing hushed voices coming from outside. His little sister was also awakened by the voices, and after a while without saying anything both uncle and little sister crawled in silence among the kids sleeping on the floor toward the window to spy the backyard. To keep the place cold during the hot nights, the windows were left open with a tool as a curtain to protect kids from mosquitoes, therefore was easy for them to see outside. Nobody was in their backyard, but in the backyard next door the old lady living there was standing near the eucalyptus tree wearing a robe and holding a candle in her hand, whispering. The siblings recognized her immediately so they did not get scared, just the neighbor looking for a cat or something. At some point, the lady started to look to the sky and make gestures with her hand like inviting something to come down. The siblings freaked out when around five figures slowly descended on the lady's backyard and kneeled on the ground. They were coming from the open sky, not from any tree. My uncle described them as young lads, slim, dark not so short hair, and brownish skin that looked opaque. The five creatures remained sitting or kneeling around the lady for what seemed to be 15 to 20 minutes. She was smiling all the time and whispering back and forth with them. Meanwhile, my uncle and his little sister were silently frozen in the window, just peeking and not seeing. Even when they were shocked at the beginning of the experience the siblings stayed calm, just curious about what they were seeing. That time before dawn was very calm, 
with no wind and no birds singing, the rest of the kinds on that second floor were sound sleeping. All of a sudden, one of the creatures dropped lower to the dirt and started to convulse. That lasted a few seconds and my uncle said that immediately it stood up without hesitation, but what was standing there was like a shadow of the critter. On the floor there was a body heavily breathing and moaning that looked real. The lady took a robe to cover that creature and helped to walk away from the rest of the group. At that point, my uncle's sister started to shake with terror, he told us he tried to comfort her but she was losing control of herself. He was also getting uncomfortable with the experience and could not take his eyes off the scene for a second, but then he realized that somehow all the creatures in the group were standing and looking shadowy like the one that convulsed. The one that was covered by the lady with the robe could not be seen around. After a few more whispers between the lady and the creatures, the lady blew out the candle and all creatures started to slowly ascend to the morning sky. The little ponchos were flapping around their bodies, but he could not hear any sound. When the creatures were closer to the top of the eucalyptus tree, my uncle said he could hear the leaves rustling by them touching them. At some point, they were out of sight behind the tree and the siblings dropped to the floor and let themselves cry a little, hugging each other. Suddenly, a horn or siren from a factory in the city loudly went off to call employees to work. My uncle told us he and her sister just freaked out and screamed like crazy, waking up the rest of the kids, and the adults and dogs and cats in the main house. It was pandemonium, but the siblings did not say a word of what they saw. Adults were confident that one of the kids had a nightmare or something like that. Anyway, the kids and the siblings kept sleeping on summer nights in the same place for a few more years, the sighting did not repeat. And since they visited that house for summer vacations and did not live there they never saw that lady after that. It took several years for the siblings to share the experience, my uncle told us that both were sure it was not a dream but they did not feel they wanted to talk about it. They finally shared it when they were young adults and in a family reunion, the owners of the house where this thing happened dropped a comment that the lady next door had passed away. Both siblings started to ask questions and more questions about the lady and the house next door, non-stop. Since that old lady was a little reclusive they could not get answers, in the end, they were confronted why so many questions and they just opened the memory gates. That was another pandemonium, family laughing at them, criticizing the siblings for talking that way about such a nice neighbor that just passed away, she never was on anything weird, living along poor lady, etc. The siblings did not bring up the story anymore but started comparing the experience and sharing memories. They finally were able to validate that was not a dream and that they saw something. The rest of the family knew about it from this last gathering, my cousin who asked to see the place knew about it from his parents being present there, I'm sure on my side close to me knew but I never got it. After my uncle shared this with the young generation, he told us that he felt some relief. For my cousins and me was a nice way to feel connected with the big family, but I think that all of us considered it not a real thing just a nice tale. Recently, I talked about it with someone present when my uncle told the story and showed us the place. She told me after that experience she had a few dreams where naked characters would drop down from the ceiling, sky and just be a backdrop of the dream scene. Other cousins also had similar stuff happening in dreams or while meditating. In my case, on a windy day I was driving my car with my wife and a burlap sack flew in front of the windshield and blocked my view, I pushed the brakes to the floor. When I got out of the car to get that potato sack from the windshield, 
I saw a huge branch from a tree on the sidewalk break and crash on a spot on the street where I should have been if I had not stopped. When I went back to my car and told my wife that this could be related to my uncle's experience. Burlap poncho flying around? She got really, really mad, a big fight about being credulous. This is the first time I shared my experience. I live in a small wooded area in a suburb of Lexington, Kentucky. In November 2023, I was taking my dog outside. My dog's legs were going out and she couldn't walk very well because she was old. So she's taking a while. I stand out there with her to make sure she's okay. She liked to go in the backyard to do her business. She's doing said business, and I hear footsteps in the- Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Woods. I assume it's a deer or something and just tell my dog to hurry up. The steps sounded like they were all over the place. Close then far then close again. Once they sounded really close, I got my dog inside. Since I'm an idiot, I went back outside to check it out. Again, I hear footsteps and again, they're all over. Then it was suddenly really close and I saw a parting in the bushes and it was huge. I ran to my house as fast as I could, and I think I sprained my ankle while doing so, and didn't look back. The next day, I'm taking my dog out again. This time, I heard a sort of whispering from all around me in the woods. Once again, told my dog to hurry up and got inside. Maybe this part is unrelated, but two weeks ago, an old man in a bright orange jacket, a cane, and a hat was walking up and down my road back and forth for about four hours. It was like 20 degrees out that day. As soon as I pointed him out to my mom, he was gone, never saw him again. My house's cameras, so I went back through the footage to see if I could find videos of him. You know what I found? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. 
Despite me seeing him on our cameras multiple times. I don't know what it is. I've just had a lot of strange encounters since the day I took my dog out and it's freaking me out. To explain why seeing the guy was really weird. I don't really live in a neighborhood and I don't have any neighbors actually. There's my house, then the road, and a lot of people have died on my road so it's not a place people walk on, there's no sidewalk or anything, just a road then woods. So seeing some guy walking on it for hours was really strange and not at all something I've seen while living there. It might not be related and I might be paranoid or on edge, just a lot of strange occurrences that happened since that first one and something isn't right. A young woman named Arena B, was living in a countryside cottage and was visiting a secluded beach on the banks of the Dnieper River in the Poltava region of Ukraine. She frequented the area often and knew it well. Her favorite area was an isolated small inlet covered with sandy beaches and bushes, the area had numerous gaping holes or crevices all around, some of them quite large, and possibly artificially made by locals. On this day she was lying by the beach sunning herself, and dozing off when she suddenly awoke with the feeling that someone staring at her. She opened her eyes and was terrified to see a huge bipedal lizard-like being about 2 meters in height and covered with greenish scales standing very close to her. Terrified she wasn't able to scream and waited for the worst to happen. But suddenly she heard a voice inside her head, Don't be afraid, my rations do not include albumin, protein, I am not going to eat you. The witness was not sure if the mysterious voice spoke in Russian but she distinctly understood everything that was said, the voice seemed to have correctly anticipated her apprehension. How is this possible? Was her only thought, and the voice answered her immediately, nothing unusual, simple telepathy. She sat on her towel looking at the huge lizard-like being looming over her. The voice inside her head once again reacted to her thoughts and said, you are afraid of my appearance. That can be corrected. Then in a blink of an eye, she saw the most beautiful young man she had ever seen in her life. How did you do that? She asked in amazement, now feeling more curious than afraid, in a moment she received the answer, easily. You see what you want to see. I simply compel you to see what you want. They both began communicating by using telepathically. The lizard man told an amazing story, apparently, he was a criminal on his planet and other species on his planet had wanted to punish him. But he had succeeded in escaping and had been wandering all over the galaxy for a long time, hiding from bounty hunters that were chasing him. For some time now one of these holes at the beach had become his shelter. But he was now tired of hiding and wanted to be found and punished. He had evidently been observing her every time she had come to the beach for a while. She reminded him of his home planet where the creatures also liked the sun and the water. He just wanted to chat with her since he had been an outcast from his planet for so long. At the end of the conversation the lizard man told Arena that he would erase her memory or her brain would not sustain such huge volumes of new information and would explode. He promised that it wouldn't be painful, suddenly everything around her was encased in a bluish light, and horrified she watched the body of the lizard being dissolved into nothingness. And next, she lost consciousness. She was briefly reported missing and a search was organized to find her, her parents and neighbors found her the next day on the beach. She was found lying on the sand bleeding from her nose and one ear. The doctors at the hospital were puzzled thinking that she might have had a brain hemorrhage. She was considered to be alive only by a miracle. 
The witness insists that she did not invent the story even though she is aware that it sounds like the ravings of a lunatic. Okay so I'm going back about 11 years ago, I was pregnant with my son at the time, but only just. I know it was a long time ago but my now husband and I remember this as clearly as it was yesterday, and we were both completely sober. Liverpool, UK cold night. We were staying with my parents that night. At the time they lived in an area called Halewood. For context, it is near the Halewood Triangle, an area that has numerous UFO sightings, but what we saw, well, it wasn't a UFO well, it was, but not the type that looks like a machine of some sort. Anyhow, we're both in dressing gowns outside, my husband having a smoke. We are wowing at how clear the night was. The moon was low and making everything glow but the stars were very visible. We decided it was pretty enough to stay out a little longer and lap up the beauty of the night sky. We pull up a longer and he lays down, I lie between his legs also facing the sky and we're discussing the stars. Out of nowhere, we see what I can only describe as Batman, swoop in a straight line from our left over to our right and vanish over the trees in the distance. It didn't flap its absolutely enormous wings, it didn't make a sound. It just glided across the night sky, maybe 40 feet above us. It had a human body, legs, head maybe 7 feet tall if it was standing, and bat wings. As I saw it I literally thought I'd lost my mind. I sat up and watched it vanish. I didn't realize my husband saw it until I looked at him for confirmation like did you freaking see that? Without saying a word I knew he saw it too. We laughed hysterically because we just couldn't believe what we saw. I still don't think we have processed what we saw that night. I can't pick out any major features as it was dark. But it was clear to see as the moonlight bounced off it. There is absolutely no animal that resembles this that I'm aware of. We get herons, large birds of prey, etc. which we see very often, daily almost. It absolutely was not any kind of creature I had ever encountered before. It certainly wasn't any bird that we know of and the bats here are minuscule. Has anyone else ever seen anything like this? Me and my husband still talk about the time we saw Batman. Added a very simple pic of a drawing I made. The wings were probably twice as long as this but I couldn't fit them on the paper. The lines on the wings are arms. I couldn't see fingers or toes. I couldn't see its face as it appeared to have its head up looking ahead of itself, so what I saw was the underneath of its chin, if that makes sense, as the side we were looking at was its belly or underside. It was grey in color but its wings were slightly darker. No hair from what I could make out. It very clearly had two legs which it kept tightly together. I swear me and my boyfriend lost time last night. I got home around 9.15pm with food, I know the time because I texted my boyfriend at 8.41 asking what he wanted from Wendy's. I was hungry and ate as soon as I came home while reading the FB news tab. Next thing I know, my boyfriend is freaking out because it's 12.10 am and he's saying there's just no way that much time passed. He had been downstairs in the kitchen cleaning a little bit from a mess he made earlier. Then I'm also freaking out because I'm still eating my food. I know I eat slowly, but not that slow. It's so freaking weird and I can't explain it. There's no way I would have spent that much time reading news headlines and maybe skimming a few articles. FB News doesn't even have that much news lol. 
He definitely wouldn't take three hours cleaning the kitchen. It's tiny and all he had to do was run the dishwasher and wipe the counter. It was 12.10 am when it should have been 10 pm at the absolute latest. I would have been eating really cold food if it took me three hours to finish it. It was just a cheeseburger and medium fries. What's even more crazy is I had a frosty that wasn't even melted. It was just like it always is after maybe 20 minutes, just a little bit melted right around the top. How would it not be completely melted if it was sitting out for 3 hours? I'm stumped. Never had anything like this happen before, and it happened to both of us. We kept talking about it because we were both so shocked. We don't use any substances and we don't drink either, so we were completely clear-minded and fully aware. Has anyone else had this happen before? I recently acquired a new roommate. The entire situation should never have happened we, but I needed someone to help with rent, so a Craigslist posting later, he moved in. His name was Greg, and he disclosures to me that he did have some strange sleeping behaviors, sleep talking, sleepwalking, night terrors. Funny thing was, I also had a history of sleepwalking, but only on rare occasions. The first incident occurred about one week later when I heard him screaming in the middle of the night. Since we both slept in desperate rooms on different sides of the house, the scream sounded distant, but enough to scare me so much I ran to check on him. As I'd get closer to his bedroom, he stopped screaming, so I just went back to bed. For the next month he had no issues. I noticed he had no friends or family that would visit and I never saw or heard him on the phone or texting. Then another random night, Greg started screaming. Same thing, I got up and started to go to his room but he'd stop. Then one night, I was awoken by screaming in my bedroom. I couldn't see anything in the panic, so I turned on the bedside lamp and he was at the foot of my bed wearing some sleeping clothes, athletic shorts and a t-shirt. Scared me, so I started screaming and woke him up. He apologized and went back to bed. Then the scariest thing happened. About two nights later, I awoke to clanking. Sounded like tools and hammers tapping. I turned on the light to see Greg kneeling down in a corner working on something with his hands. A few seconds after turning the light on, Greg froze, then slowly turned his upper body around and started blankly at me while I laid in bed. I was beyond creeped out, so I slowly slid out of bed, and left the house. After sleeping in my truck down the road in an empty church parking lot, I returned to the house at about 8 in the morning. Greg was gone. All of his belongings were gone. No signs of him anywhere. It was like he never lived there. I didn't know of any of his friends or family so I had no one to call about him. Days turned to weeks, weeks into months. When I moved out after the lease was up, I was moving furniture out of my bedroom. In the corner of the room where I last saw Greg kneeling down I realized the floor vent for the air conditioning was loose. Inside the floor vent was an envelope with a ton of pictures of me sleeping. The pictures had handwritten dates and times written on the back of the pictures. The only other item was a a whittled down wooden broom handle brought to a point. I truly believe Greg was preparing to kill me that night, and he realized it. Because it was the sleepwalking Greg that was going to do it, he left to save my life. It appears Greg had been coming to my room almost nightly and working on making the broom handle a stabbing weapon and I never heard, until the last night I saw him. I was selling an entertainment console and these guys called to come look at it. 
They seemed interested in it and loved the size. I told them a person could fit inside of the cabinets and they didn't believe me so I climbed in. They blocked the door and proceeded to rob my entire apartment. My roommate was super pissed when he got home. We used lawn chairs and a canoe for furniture for a while afterwards. About six years ago, my now husband, Josh, and I moved to Northern Kentucky for work. Northern Kentucky is part of a tri-state area with Ohio and Indiana. This was our first apartment that was larger than a shoebox, and we were looking for some extra counter space. We found the perfect microwave card on Craigslist, so Josh called up to the seller, who seemed perfectly normal. The address was on Wren Road in Ross, which we assumed was in Kentucky. We also assumed, based on our own experiences with waterfront property on the East Coast, that it would be a nice neighborhood, as it was right on the Ohio River. So we mapped out our route and went on our way in our Mustang convertible, with the top down. It was just getting dark outside at this point. After a considerable drive, and after passing the road by accident, we found it. In addition to the street sign, which was mostly hidden by bushes and trees, it was marked with some very faded wooden signs which we couldn't read very well in the dark. Those signs probably should have been our first inclination that something wasn't right, but we vaguely took notice and turned down the street. Upon going over a small hill that included railroad tracks going perpendicular to the road, we bottomed out and lost our muffler. So with our car's now extra loud engine, we came out of the trees into a small trailer park. There were about five trailers on each side of the road, which ended in a cul-de-sac. Immediately we were a bit nervous, having not expected a scene like this. Josh pulled the car in and turned it around so we were facing the exit. Immediately, the inhabitants of the trailer park, who had all been standing together talking, came over and surrounded our car. I was pretty much panicking at this point and was nudging Josh, just wanting to get out of there. The large, beer-bellied, redneck man, who seemed to be the spokesperson of the group, asked angrily what we were doing there. Josh told him we were there about the microwave cart from Craigslist. The man said, Craigslist? Nah, we don't got nothing like that here. What did you say you were looking for? At this point, Josh is calling the woman he had spoken to on the phone and there are about eight people all around our car. Luckily for us, they were not at the front of the car. The woman answers the phone, Josh realizes we're obviously in the wrong place, apologizes a few times, and we floor it out of there. On the way out we go over the hill and bottom out again. Speaking to the woman on the phone, we realize that she was on Wren Road in Ross Township, Ohio. We set off for her actual residence, and claimed our microwave cart at her nice, normal suburban home. We were scared shitless and our car was even louder than normal, but we were safe. There are plenty of lessons to be learned from others who've dealt with Craigslist creeps, but we still use it when necessary, and haven't really had any actual issues. One lesson we did learn though, riverfront property in the Midwest is the complete opposite of beachfront property on the East Coast. So though we don't live anywhere near the Midwest now, creepy trailer park rednecks? Let's not meet. Tried to buy an iPhone from a guy. Asked me to meet him in a kind of out of the way place not far from where I lived, in a decent neighborhood, at what I assumed was his house. I get there he is waiting outside. He says to me I don't have the phone. 
I need you to get in my car and we will go to the Apple store. Which immediately caused me to try and nope the F out of there. And he starts following me down the street, calling for we to come back. I'm not a terribly intimidating guy, but I've got a grand in my pocket and there is no one else around. In my biggest voice I threaten to call the police if he attempts to follow me, and tell him to F off. So I'm now walking as fast as I can back to a populated area, and he starts calling me on my phone. I ignore it. He tries two to three times and then pulls up next to me. Apologizing and trying to get me in his car, still? Again, I shout at him to F off from the side of the road. He drives off. I finally get to a strip mall and he calls me again, WTF? I'm feeling safer and I've collected my thoughts a little, and answer the phone. I tell him to shut up, and what a piece of shit I think he is, and if I have anything to do with him again I won't hesitate to call the cops. There are people staring at me as I shout at my phone, but I don't really care. In hindsight, I wish I got his plate and give that and his number to the police anyway. I count myself lucky to get away unscathed. Before I get the kind of lecture I'd expect from my father, I know that it's a risky move to walk home alone at night. I know, especially as a young woman, that it's unsafe. That anything could happen. Okay? I know. That being said, I come from a remarkably safe area. The kind of place where people don't shoot up in bed worried because they can't remember if they lock their doors. I've stumbled home drunk more than a few times myself, only to discover my keys long forgotten in the lock outside the next morning. Nobody really worried because nothing bad really happened here, not until a few months ago. Up until now, it wasn't actually considered that dangerous to walk alone after dark here. I did it pretty often myself. I don't have a car and the public transportation system here is basically non-existent. I'm saving up to finally get myself a vehicle, but it's a bit of a vicious cycle. I can't afford a car, and the relative safety it would afford me, so to get one, I have to work. And I'm a bartender, so that means working late shifts. There's been a recent spate of killings in my town, the first of its kind, really. We've seen a startling number of victims who've all met their end at the hands of a frenzied knife attacker over the past few months. And the murders are all brutal beyond belief, the victims are stabbed to the point of death, and then some. Past the point of recognition. Complete overkill. First it was one murder every so often but now sometimes multiple victims are found after a single night. All of these people were simply going about their business as usual, walking home after dark from work or a friend's place or the store. Many of them died just yards from the safety and comfort of their homes, some mere steps away from their front doors. We've been forced to confront the fact that we almost certainly have a serial killer on our hands. With all of this weighing heavy on my mind, I guess you'll all understand why I was terrified to find myself out on the street hours past nightfall and out of options. Surprisingly, I wasn't leaving a shift last night, that I can plan for, and I actually have started carpooling with my co-workers over the past couple weeks. After realizing I was either out or working a startling amount of the nights when the killer added another victim to his count, I figured I needed to take these extra measures to ensure my safety. I was actually leaving my boyfriends, well, ex-boyfriend's, house late last night after we got into a huge fight. It started with the same old, same old stuff, he's incredibly jealous, aggressively possessive. Despite my being faithful for the several years we've been together, 
He's never learned to trust me. He's always going on and on about my phone, insisting that if I don't respond to him, then I must be cheating. He was drunk, belligerent, and he wouldn't let it go last night. He pointed out several recent windows of time when I should have texted back, failing to realize that, because these instances were in the middle of the night, I was either working or sleeping like any other normal person. The fight started at around 2am and ended over an hour later. He seriously broke my phone then kicked me out with no way to call for help. I had no cash on hand and no way to call a cab anyway. The buses had stopped running for the night and the walk to the nearest bus stop probably would have been longer than the walk back home. I was drunk and alone and scared and helpless. I briefly considered knocking on a neighbor's door but stopped myself. I didn't want to make a fuss. I could just walk home on my own, it wasn't a big deal. It'd only take me about 15 minutes. After all, I'd done it plenty of times before. With a renewed, or feigned, more likely, sense of courage, I plodded down the steps outside my ex's house and onto the sidewalk. I tried desperately not to think of the serial attacker, but it was no use. I couldn't silence my thoughts about what scared me most about the maniac, his preferred victims. It was his lack of preference that worried me most, actually. It sounds horrible to say, but in that moment, I couldn't deny the thought, if he only went for a certain kind of victim, like petite blonde girls, I'd have felt safer. As I continued my walk, I thought back on all of his victims, realizing that there was no common thread that could stitch his choice of victims together, there was no neat box that I could categorize them and all in the name of making myself feel safer. Even more horrifying still, several men had fallen victim to the killer, big men that sure as hell put up a fight, yet stood no chance against such vicious knife attacks. Chillingly, such a variety in victims communicated one thing to me, and as I turned down the next street, about halfway through my walk, then, the message was suddenly loud and clear. His motives to kill didn't come from the normal things I'd expect. He didn't hate his mom, he wasn't angry at his first girlfriend for leaving him. He wasn't killing a specific type of victim to live out his fantasies of vengeance against those he'd felt had wronged him. He killed for one reason and one reason alone, he loved to do it. With this realization, I found myself walking at a brisk pace, much quicker than usual. Before the onslaught of brutal killings, I used to enjoy my walks home, used to savor the quiet of the town after dark. It used to feel like the world belonged to me, like everything had slowed down for my enjoyment alone, like I was the only person left on the planet. Last night, it was different, a slight difference, but one that made a monumental impact. In my mind, I wasn't the only person anymore, instead, it was just me and the knife-wielding fiend, hellbent on my destruction. Just the hunter and its prey. I tried to silence these thoughts, tried in vain to reassure myself that we hadn't seen an attack in a little over two weeks. For a few moments, these internal reassurances actually worked, perhaps it was the buzz I still had going. I felt myself start to calm, though I remained vigilant, I had to be. My senses were on high alert so that I wouldn't get caught off guard. It was probably because of this heightened vigilance that I heard the sound from behind me, the first sign to prove that I was as far from alone as I feared. Before I'd even registered the disturbance, my head whipped around instinctively to look back over my shoulder. It was hard to see at first, but once I saw a quiver of movement in the distance, my stomach bottomed out and hit the ground. There was a man behind me, dressed head to toe in black. 
He was walking quite quickly himself, with purpose. And I wasn't about to stick around and find out what exactly his purpose was. I felt frozen in place for a moment, but once my body caught up with me, we were on our way further down the street. I was only a couple blocks away from my house at that point, and my feet carried me as fast as they could, but my shoes were uncomfortable and I found it hard to move. I could still hear him shuffling along behind me, his footfalls coming at a disturbingly fast pace. From the sounds alone, I figured I'd hardly expanded the gap between us, he was in quick pursuit. I wagered a second glance over my shoulder, big mistake. Like some true horror movie shit, I toppled over. Reflexively, I threw my hands out in front of me so that my palms made harsh contact with the paved sidewalk. I knew I had to get up, though, because his steps were growing much louder. I began to panic as I realized that this not only because he was closer to me, but because he'd started to run. Fast. Adrenaline surged through me, urging me to scramble to my feet and get home, or at least to get help. I don't think I was even in control of my body anymore, I'd relinquished all operating power to my most basic, primal self. Commanded only by the will to survive. I figured this must be true, that I must have set all cognitive processes aside in favor of escape and survival, because I startled awake this morning, at home. I woke up in bed, naked, hungover. With a foul taste in my mouth that took a few times brushing my teeth to get rid of. I'm a little worn out, but I'm safe. I don't look much like I was in a fight for my life, just some scrapes and bruises here and there. My fingernails are surprisingly dirty, with some substance caked underneath them, probably dirt from when I fell. It's hard to say exactly what happened, though. The adrenaline rush that came over me was so powerful that I have only a hazy recollection of the entire night, that, of course, in conjunction with the alcohol. My survival instincts must have carried me those last few minutes until I burst through my door. It was a close call, for sure, but even closer when I opened my laptop to a news alert. Apparently, a morning jogger found a man's body, another victim of the killer. There are few details available now, but he was found on the same street I'd been pursued on last night, likely to have been killed near the same time I'd escaped. One of the detectives on the case reported that he expected an identification to be difficult, seeing as the victim had been nearly ripped to shreds. Like I said, I don't exactly remember what happened last night, but I'm comforted by the fact that I was so close to death but that I made it home safe. I'm exhausted and I certainly look a little rough, but I'm okay. And that's something to be grateful for, don't you think? My husband works a weird schedule where he has to be at work at 3 a.m. I wake him up at 2 a.m., get his lunch together, and then I go back to bed until my alarm at 5 a.m. I don't always go back to sleep right away because he is wandering around showering and getting dressed and making obscene amounts of noise. He usually leaves right around 2.50 a.m., then I'm good to go back to sleep. Anyway, about a month ago, I woke back up at 4.30ish on a Friday morning. I swore I heard someone knocking. We have doorbell cameras at both doors, so I checked my phone. Nothing. The kids were in bed with me and the dog was still sound asleep, so I knew it wasn't them. I decided it must have been a dream but it freaked me out enough that I didn't go back to sleep. He was home for the next two nights, no knocking. I didn't think anything about it. Early Monday morning? Same time, same place. Check the cameras? 
Nothing there. Kids and dog all snoring. Repeat for three more days. I became more and more convinced that someone messing with me but I couldn't figure out why. If someone was really watching the house, they would know that I was alone after 3 am with the kids. It's easy enough to break in, ground level windows all around and our doors aren't anything special. No reason to expend all this effort trying to get me up and out of bed to open the door. My irritability was growing as my sleep deprivation increased. I was having a harder and harder time sleeping after 3 am because I was anticipating the knocking. I was mostly just kind of hanging out in bed and waiting. Finally, I decided to just stay awake and catch the person in the act. I set myself up in the living room, iced coffee, TV on, phone in hand, fully upright so I wouldn't fall asleep. Nothing happened. No more knocking. Just an idiot sitting on the couch for two hours, losing more sleep. My theory is that I was dreaming of someone knocking that first night and I woke up mid-dream, unable to distinguish reality from dream. I didn't have to wake up in the middle of the night the next two nights, so I slept better and deeper. He went back to work and the weird dream started again because I wasn't sleeping solidly. The human mind does some crazy things. After I was able to look at it with a clearer perspective, and a few hours of sleep, I realized there was no way anyone could have been knocking at the door. I have a miniature dachshund. He barks at anything. A squirrel farting outside can result in a five-minute barking frenzy. Knocks on the door cause hysteria. There is no way he would have slept through someone knocking at 4 am. I'm an idiot. When I was a child, I had life-size, aka 3 feet tall, Power Ranger dolls. I usually kept them in my room stationed around my canopy bed to guard me at night. One day I was planning to take them all to preschool for show and tell, I was like 4 or 5. As I was preparing them to come downstairs with me, the red power ranger came to life and pushed me down the stairs. I only vaguely remember this incident, but when I brought it up recently at a family gathering, my mom said that it wasn't the first time I had mentioned the red power ranger being lifelike, and that I had frequently been heard talking to people in that particular apartment. The incident of me being pushed down the stairs apparently frightened my parents so much that they took me away and we stayed with my grandmother until my parents could find a new apartment to live in. Needless to say, the Power Rangers did not move with us. My husband recently took an overnight's job to help us out during pandemic. He's only been there about two weeks and works evenings or overnights, 9 p.m., 6 a.m. Last night was no different, he left home around 8.15 p.m. Our daughter, age 11, and I decided to make it a movie night. Around 11 p.m., I heard keys in my back door and the usual sounds my husband makes when he comes home. I creep out to the kitchen to make sure it was him, and it was. He told me he needed to grab his knee compression sleeve, walks down the hall, says hi to our daughter as he passes the living room, and goes upstairs. He came back down, gave me a kiss and left again. We finished our movie and went to bed. In the morning when he got home I made a joking comment about him forgetting his knee sleeve. He was genuinely confused as I recalled the previous night. Our daughter confirmed everything I said and he still was acting confused. I pulled up our security motion camera on my phone to show him when he popped in quick. But there was no footage from the night before, or any other night of him coming home after he's left for work.
My daughter and I both heard him, saw him, and I touched him. But he was never home during that time. Nothing else out of the ordinary happened that night. We seriously have no idea what happened.